All right, well, let's jump into the text today. Jesus turns again to an illustration. He always, always teaches with pictures. And it's another picture that probably came on the hillside there as, as he's talking to now thousands, perhaps, at least hundreds. And the gathering go, grows and grows. And maybe over here on the hillside going down into the Sea of Galilee, there's, there's some shepherds and, and they see this crowd growing and growing. They maybe take their flock slowly over throughout the hours that Jesus is preaching. And then here at the conclusion, they're here and he's going to appeal to us as sheep. And this theme is often repeated. And so we do find the picture of sheep. Uh, this was a precious story I came into this week. This is actually from last year, April. Uh, the Gray family, who owns thousands of sheep in Tanzania, had one of their little lambs wander off. They have so many that they, that, that can happen. Um, and, and so the granddad installed this night vision camera to see where the sheep might be wandering. And they see this little guy look in the camera so they know it's out there but it kept wandering gone for seven years seven years and at their six-year-old's birthday party uh, last year it shows up like this <laughs> ten times the size of the other sheep because it hadn't had his hair cut uh, for for seven years uh, and so they, they sheared it. I actually, how many of you have ever been a shepherd? I'm guessing nobody, but you never know, right? We're, we're from all over the world. Okay, we got one shepherdess. Um, my uncle raised sheep for a while, uh, and uh, he had me shear them. And it was interesting. It was actually pretty nasty. Uh, that looks pretty pretty. Well, this actually looks a little more realistic, and that's probably after washing. But it's amazing that this sheep lives seven years on the lamb. Right? Seven years by itself, because there are so many dangers out there that can take care and destroy a sheep. Not only just providing for itself, the sheep need the pasture, because there are wolves. There are wolves, and I think our, right, our shepherds in the U.S. Are, are pretty quick to take care of the wolves. But there are protections even for wolves, and so at times the wolf population grows, I, Saw another article from BBC in the Netherlands. They, they had some, sh some wolves migrating from Germany, endangering their population of 800,000 sheep. And one of the farmers had 26 of his sheep uh, ravaged by one wolf, one lone wolf. And so they're thinking through, we have to put up electric fence, like huge land, electric fence to keep the wolves out. But it is worth it. Now, they're asking for the country to subsidize the paying for that. Uh, but it's worth it to take care of these little lambs. It's worth it to take care of the sheep because the wolves will devour them. The wild animals will devour them. And churches, it is the same. It is worth the expense. It is worth the effort to keep wolves out. And this is what Jesus is illustrating. There are sheep. We're all sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd, but there are wolves that want to come into churches to destroy the sheep. This week I came across, and this is fairly common anymore that this, this happens, but I came across yet another article of a church leader of one of the largest churches. It's kind of one of the, the most popular of churches and influential over the last 20 years in America. And one of the pastors on their pastoral staff is 
who had been on their pastoral staff, no longer as a pastor, no longer professes Christianity. And this isn't gossip because he doesn't only not no longer practice it, he puts a public article out there, gets paid to do a public article on why he's not. What a scary thing that is. And yet, what Jesus over and over warned about. And he warns about as he's finishing up his lesson to the disciples, as he's talking to the disciples there and those who may follow him as their shepherd, do not be surprised. And so it's an over and over theme, a scary theme, but one that we need to cover and understand that there will be not just a narrow gate, one way that we follow the Lamb of God, the Shepherd Jesus, the Great Shepherd, through He who is the way, the truth, and the life, but there will be, as you are on that way, teachers, prophets, deceivers who try to destroy you from walking in that way. And so Jesus turns us again to some imagery. Uh, he, he mixes metaphors. We're going to look at three sections of this paragraph in front of you of Matthew 7. We're going to see a, a caution, first of all, a command, first of all. Verse 15, there's a command. Beware. Beware of the wolves. All right? And then he's going to give us a cure of how we are to beware. And then he's going to end with a caution to both sheep and wolves. And it's going to spur us forward in our faith and in our health as a church. So verse 15, the command, uh, beware of the wolves, beware of the wolves. I will say this, if you're taking notes, uh, don't just worry about the blanks. If you like taking notes, I would encourage you to try to follow the main ideas that go under the, the blanks, right? So I'm going to give three questions that this verse answers. And, and what you should do is not just see what are we to do? Oh, there's no blanks there. But actually write in there the answer to that question, right? Get back to class here. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, what are you to do? It says what? Verse 15, what are we commanded to do? There you go. Beware of the false prophets. Beware of the false prophets. Watch for, look out for, observe. Beware, this will happen. Jesus uses this term a whole lot in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospels to beware of the Pharisees. Actually, that phrase probably came into your mind. The Judaizers, these People will say that you have to do all the commands of the law in order to be right with God. Beware of that. Beware, but this is a little different. Beware of the false prophets. There are prophets. There will be those who speak as a mouthpiece for God. They will speak forth the words of God. In this day, this was a very common office as Scripture was just being written. Um, so Matthew is actually picking up on some of these themes, uh, and, and Jesus is also sharing this. But, but this was as prophecy was being spoken, as the New Testament was being written. Um, and he's saying, beware, because there will people who come to you who say they are speaking Scripture, but they are not speaking truth, they are speaking what? False. Not truth, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. False. False prophets. 
false prophets. If you're taking notes, you can write down a few of these references. In fact, let's just turn to at least one of them, because you're in Matthew 7. Turn over to Matthew 24. Uh, in your Bible there, Matthew 24, we find Jesus giving a similar warning toward the end of his earthly ministry. Matthew 24, verse 10. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. Look at verse 24 of the same chapter. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. Listen to this. And will show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Jesus is warning that this will happen. I want to read a few other verses to you. As this continues on in Acts, we find the church wrestling with this. Acts 13, verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish man, a false prophet. So there it is, beginning. Acts chapter 20. Paul encourages the elders of the church to be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But false prophets arose among the people, just as there also will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, denying the Lord who bought them. Repeated. I could go on and on, these references. There's just a few. This is a, a warning to the church. Be careful, false teachers. What is the danger here? So let's move on. Why are we to beware? Beware of false prophets. Why? Why are we to do this? Because they will come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's three components there that make that dangerous. First of all, they will come into you. They will come to you. We recognize all over Forest Hills there are buildings set up for false teaching. There are buildings set up to deny. They, on the front page of their website, denies the deity of Jesus. Or on their doctrinal statement for thousand years, it has said, salvation is not by grace alone through faith alone, but by the merits of the saints or the merit, your own works. All right, so we recognize that's out there. We recognize that. Turn on almost, well, not almost anybody, all over YouTube, right? Many, many popular speakers that you might see on TV or radio would also be just very clearly stating things that are anti-Christ, that are against Jesus. But this is not saying that. We should be aware of that. But what is this saying? In. They will come in to the flock. The second thing is that they will be in sheep's clothing. They will look like you. 
They will garb themselves as a sheep. It's a little comical illustration, but a very serious and sobering reality. They're, they're going to look just like you. You will not be able to tell that they're not a Christian. They're going to say, I'm a Christian. They're going to profess to be a Christian. They're going to act like a Christian. They're going to talk like a Christian. But you know what? This is the most dangerous thing. Inwardly, they are what? Ravenous wolves. They are actually coming into the church to destroy, to distract, to harm, to cause people to no longer walk in the faith. That's their desire. They come into the church to do this. This is a sobering wake-up call. To be careful. Why are we to do this? Because there actually is danger in the church if we are not careful by beware. They're fierce wolves that want to devour. I really like Matthew Henry on this. This is a helpful imagery where he states, every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing. Right? So he brings that in. Like there's goats too in the church. This is a person who who, who looks, like, looks like a sheep and tries to be like a sheep, but you know that they're a goat. They're, they're not a Christian. Every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing, but a false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not only not a sheep, but the worst enemy a sheep can have. You got that? So it's not just that they're, they're pretending to fit in. And we, like, the, the church is such a, a beautiful community, a loving community. You want to be with this, this welcoming group of people, right? And, and especially in this huge city where there's so many people, it's just great to come somewhere. You actually have people who will receive you, who will love you, who will welcome you. And so often you have that in a church community. But this is different. This is someone who actually comes into the church community in order to harm, in order to hurt someone. And so commentators have often said the. The, the shepherd not only has the staff to help the sheep stay in line and close, but also to drive away the wolves. And that's very true. Well, how are we to do it? This is very important. How are we to do it? Our last question, it comes there, the first phrase of verse 16. You will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruits. You're going to be able to observe. You're going to be able to beware. You're going to be able to be careful by knowing their fruits. So let's do that. Let's get into this, okay? Um, Jesus is going to make this clear and, and very practical for us as a church to beware of wolves. So this is point number two, the cure. Behold their fruit. All right, so beware of the false teachers. Now behold their fruit. Verses 16 to 20. Begins with a question. This is a, a mixed metaphor now. Jesus brings in our second metaphor, and this one's from the garden. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? A simple question, are they? Can you go to a thorn bush and get some grapes? No, you're going to get pricked. Um, we actually do have a little grapevine, and I meant to bring some grapes. Uh, Charlotte picked some the other day and made some grape juice. It was good. Maybe we'll have enough to do that on the Lord's table. That would be cool uh, next week. Anyway, um, we also have poison ivy. How did we do that in Queens? 
Queens, we have poison ivy. Sarah's gotten it like three times now. Um, and, and so we wouldn't, we wouldn't go to the poison ivy to get grapes. You go there to get itchy. You, you wouldn't go to the grapes to get poison ivy, right? So, so Jesus is saying one is bad and one is good. And you know what will come. Good will come from the good. Bad will come from the bad. This is just the way it is, so clearly. Good comes from good, bad comes from bad, as far as it goes with bushes. You can't gather grapes from thorn bushes, that's obvious. So an inspection needs to take place. An inspection, verses 17 and 18. So every good tree bears good fruit, the bad tree bears bad fruit. In fact, it's against its nature. It's impossible, verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor a bad tree produce good fruit. It's against its nature for a thorn bush to give us grapes. That's unnatural. It's against its nature for a grape to give us thorns. So, you go positively to that poison ivy or that thorn bush, you're going to only get disappointed. It just happens that way. That's the way God made it. So, the destruction comes in verse 19. Uh, This is the application of this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. So, we got to pull up those thorn bushes and we got to burn them. They're, They're not good. They're not good for the good plants. And Jesus is referring to the uselessness of... The false teachers, they're dangerous. They need to be plucked up and removed. Not salvaged, not tried to work through a little more so that maybe they'll end up giving grapes. It's like, no, false teacher, not welcome among the sheep. That's what he says. And in fact, he's going to get even more, more dogmatic. This, he's talking about eternal destruction here. That's what he means by fire. So then... This is the conclusion. So then, verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruit. So this is the illustration. It's very clear. False teachers are going to come into the church and try to lead people in a way that would destroy the church and hurt people. So what do you need to do? Look at their fruit because that's how you will tell whether someone is a false teacher, a wolf, or a sheep. So, what is examining fruit? That's our last point, Jesus' last point here. The caution, inspect fruit carefully. Inspect fruit carefully. Um, Well, how how does that happen? What what is he talking about by fruit? This is important. This is just so practical. Um, You're looking at this person. You're watching their teaching. There's a lot of very powerful communicators that's fairly simple to do, to speak in such a way that people, people listen. But how do you know whether they're true? How do you know whether their teaching is real? How do you know whether God is actually uh, working through this teacher? Well, here's the caution that Jesus gives. Inspect fruit carefully. All right, first of all, verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says, our first point, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. The first fruit is that you are not just saying. Now it is true that you will say, okay, you will say, Lord, but fruit does not equal merely a good profession. Fruit does not equal merely a good profession. It does include a good profession. For someone to be believing in Jesus, following Jesus, they do acknowledge him as Lord. They have entered the way. They are following Jesus as the way, truth, and the life, right? He's just talked about that. So it's very true that they do accept him as Lord. And they're doing the will of the Father in heaven. So they're following Jesus. But it's not merely that. The faith comes first. Correct doctrine. Trusting that this is true. Acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Having a correct profession. That does start there. And so someone does need to say... Be merciful to me, the sinner, right? We just talked about that last week, right? Accepting Jesus as Lord of my life. Whoever believes in their heart that God raised from the dead, confesses him as Lord, they'll be saved, right? There's this confession of his lordship, of his control, turning my life over to him, 180. But you know what? You can say, Lord, Lord, and really have no relationship with him. This is the danger. Someone can make the greatest of professions and have no possession. Someone can say, yeah, I accept Jesus as Lord louder than anyone else. And yet their heart does not accept him as Lord. Just the mouth. Just the mouth. And Jesus is saying that is not enough. You can say it as much as you want. Do you actually accept Jesus the Lord in your heart? And so look at this. This is a very staggering truth. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not, just, it's not good enough just to have this profession of mouth. They're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven just because of saying these magic words. So, first of all, a profession. Now, you need to begin there, right? A good profession, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, absolutely. But it's not just with the mouth. It's got to be with the heart. And then secondly, this is even more staggering. Look at this. Not merely a good profession. And also, fruit does not equal merely a spiritual or even supernatural work. Look at verse 20. You will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Again, the profession. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? Wow. There there will be people who do supernatural works. When you look at someone, they're they're out there on the front lines, their church has multi-campus, tens of thousands of people. They may actually be going and casting out demons, miraculous works. And Jesus says, that is not a fruit that you are my true follower. 
That is not the telltale sign. In fact, this becomes a repeated theme throughout the New Testament, that actually signs and wonders will be used in the end times to deceive, to say that they're speaking for God and they really are not. There will be a delusion that the signs and wonders actually authenticate the message and the message will be from Satan. He's been doing that for many years, hasn't he? Somebody, somebody remind us of when Satan did that in the Old Testament. Anything come to your mind? Good, yeah, Moses, right? right Moses right, does this miraculous deed saying, I'm speaking for God, and what happens to the magicians come in and say, miraculous deed, we're speaking from God. And so Satan often counterfeits the works of God in order to deceive. And, and so over and over, the Bible says this. In fact, we looked at that one from Matthew 24, but you read it also in Revelation. There would be this, this strong delusion. And some of this is signs and wonders. And so it's not merely a profession. It's not merely signs and actions. It's not just a person who's, who's winsome and... Uh, like it just, uh, boy, they really can, can speak well. No, that's not it. Then what is it? What is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? This is it. Fruit equals doing the will of the Father in heaven. Fruit equals doing the will of the Father in heaven. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who just professes will enter the kingdom of heaven, but, verse 21, who? But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Look at verse 23. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. Who? You who practice lawlessness. And so there is this character change that is a new nature. A new nature of the Father in heaven. The Father actually births us from above so that we're no longer of our Father the devil that we were born under, walking in His way, but we're born again, given spiritual life by faith in Jesus to where we walk a new way, a new man, a new nature. This supernatural ability to walk in God's way. A changed life. A character that follows the Father. A person who's changed on the inside. This is such an important message throughout the Bible. Uh, Again, it's not that we change our nature so that God saves us. It's God saves us so that we have a changed nature. We ask for forgiveness. We repent of our sin. And then Jesus births us into his family to where we start looking like him. Um, it's like my brothers. We're, we're all look about the same um, because we're from the same family. Well, we are all brothers and sisters, and so we will start to look the same, not by what we wear, not by our, our cultural things, but by the new nature, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll get there in just a second, but let me just... Just give you a couple verses that show this so clearly. Right? James says a saving faith is a faith that works. Right? Faith that has no works is dead. It's not a true saving faith. Someone may well say you have faith and I have works. 
show me your faith without the works, I will show you my faith by my works. Ephesians, Paul says, we are saved unto good works. Not by, you know, he just said, by grace you're saved, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. He saves us as a gift unto good works. And so as he saves us, he saves us to change us. It is the grace of God, Titus 2, that teaches us, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. It is the actual grace of salvation that spurs us forward in this new walk. And so a false teacher will... So let's look at Galatians 5 for just a moment. If you have your Bible, we'll, we'll kind of end here as a text. Uh, this is the mark. This is the fruit that he's talking about. He's talking about this walking the way our Father has changed us to walk. To, to walk as children of God, godly. To follow Christ, Christian. To be Christ-like. And that would be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. So he mentions this in Galatians 5. He says there's the fruit of the flesh that you're born with that is very natural. Come right out of your, the mom's womb living this way. But we need to walk in the Spirit. I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. They're in opposition to one another. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are these. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that. This would be the the character qualities that we see that are coming natural. That's easy to do in the flesh. But then he describes a new nature that's through the Spirit. And this is what will mark a teacher who is speaking the words of God. And this is how you test. The fruit of the Spirit are love is. Love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Guy's out of control. Might be a wolf. Right? So, so this is what this is just very practical. What we do. You look at the fruit of the spirit. You look at the fruit of the flesh, and as as well as possible, you get to know this person. It's like, boy, this is the opposite. This is very wolfy. This is very much like the flesh in this person's life. I'm not going to follow them. In fact, I'm going to to try, by God's grace, to oust them. Because that's what Jesus does here. He continues on and he says, this is what will happen to them. This is what their ending will be. Look at the strong words. Verse 23. I will declare to them, Let me give you a second chance. I will declare to them, well, you know what? You really meant well. I will declare to them what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Not mincing words at all. 
Jesus is, Jesus is saying, you have no place with me. And I can say as a pastor of the church here, as with all of you, if you are a wolf, you have no place here. This is for sheep, right? Loving sheep who are following Jesus. He's not talking about asceticism. He's not talking about you have to be perfect. He's talking about a grace-motivated Christ-likeness. But as the gospel of grace was taught, there were people who began to take that message and turn it into antinomianism, into a this type of great hyper grace that allowed people to sin as much as they wanted. And they would go around teaching this. And they're going around teaching it to this day. And so it's just one of the false teachings that this text is guarding against. Same as asceticism, right? Trying to earn your salvation by being cruel to yourself. That's not what he's talking about. It is a grace-motivated loving God Christ-likeness. So, let's just end with one quick illustration and we'll be done. Jesus is teaching this. Who's on the front row? You got 12 people there. Who are they? Disciples. They are definitely disciples. They're professing. They're doing works. They're actually doing signs and wonders. So we hear this text. It is a little... It's like, boy, what about me? He's warning it. We should be saying that. What about me? Am I seeing this change in my life? And this would be the question for you. This is his question. You do not want to hear Jesus say this. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Yeah, you went to church. You professed my name. You did good things for me. But I didn't know you. We need to ask ourselves this very important question. Is this change happening in my life? And I think that the very clear question is this. Are you trusting and are you repenting? Are you trusting and are you repenting? Because I just look at those men, right? And I see that they are going to mess up. They are going to exhibit works of the flesh still, aren't they? So Jesus is not teaching Christian perfectionism here. He's not teaching that you are going to live the rest of your life and never sin. He's teaching this, that as you walk in the Spirit, and as you stumble, and as you lose your patience with your dog, or your neighbor, or your child, or your coworker, and you don't exhibit the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, as you do that, when you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be pricked in your conscience. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you. And you're going to do what? You're going to repent. You're going to change your mind about that sin. And you're going to say, Lord, I sinned against you. Thank you for the forgiveness I have in Jesus. But you're going to turn from it. You're going to turn from it. You're not going to be able to give yourself over to it. So you look there. They're all going to mess up big time. In fact, a little bit later, they're all going to deny Jesus I just want to look at two of them. One of them's Peter. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. I mean, you talk about big mess up? That is a big mess up. In fact, I would say, here's someone you should not follow, right? In one sense. Is that a false teacher? I mean, here's Peter. He's denying Jesus. That's definitely not self-controlled. But you know what happens? A little bit later, 
Jesus approaches him and he says, feed my sheep. He's not a false teacher. Jesus wants him as a shepherd for the flock. What happened with Peter? He repented. Bitter crying and repentance. Lord, forgive me. And he received the forgiveness and he turned and you see him doing that till his dying day. In fact, I love this passage, right? Later, later on, he professes. Jesus says, you will die professing my name. And he does that. He goes to the cross. Turn to Judas. He is going to do the same thing. He's going to deny Jesus to get money. And yet he is going to feel sorry that he got caught. And he is going to kill himself. He is not going to repent. There's the difference. Repentance, continuing to repent, continuing to believe. And that is the gospel. As you read the gospel throughout the, God, throughout the Bible, it is be believing in Jesus, be repenting of your sin. You are repenting. But I'll just be very blunt with you. If you can continue in lawlessness, practicing lawlessness, with no conviction from the Lord, in fact, you could say, I just give myself to it and I don't care. This is a telltale sign that you are not one of God's children. You need to repent. You need to believe. You need to establish this relationship with Jesus that is a personal knowledge with Him to where you would be offended if you offended Him. Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry that I did that. I hate that I did that. Abhorring all my sin. Adoring only Him. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just encourage you to respond to Jesus' message. He ends this, this sermon very, very heated. Again, he's, he's pointing us, he's calling us to be a follower of his, and he's just pointing out, listen, there are people in this congregation that he's teaching, and he's saying, some of you are wolves. And I'm going to tell you, depart from me. I never knew you. Some of you are goats. And you're living your life with no repentance. You can constantly live in immorality or sins that displease God. Whatever that type of immoral. That may be lying or that may be cheating or stealing or um, whatever it is. That, and there's just no conviction. No change. And, and he's just saying, you're not one of the flock. You need to repent of that. You need to believe in the gospel and be saved. So let me encourage you to do that right now. And, and if you are a sheep today, thank God for saving you and ask for wisdom. Lord, help me to beware. Help me to be careful who I listen to, who I follow. Help me to, to watch out for the flock at grace, uh, deciphering and making sure that the sheep are safe. And I would encourage you, if you're a wolf, to leave. Um, this is what Jesus says, he, he never knew you. He never knew you. Turn from the false teaching. Trust in Jesus or leave. Let's pray. Let's all respond to God's message. And as we do, if you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing in the back at the lobby and be happy to pray with you. But let's all talk to Jesus about this. These are his words. We just walk through word by word, phrase by phrase what he says and ask for grace to obey.